Hello and welcome to the first Motorsport Magazine issue podcast of 2019. I'm Joe Dunn and I'm joined today by our staff photographer, Lyndon McNeil. Hello. Simon Aaron, our features editor. Good afternoon. And our art director, Damon Cogman. Hello. Uh, now, for new listeners, this is uh, where we uh, run through the new issue of the magazine, which is on sale uh, right now, and try and give an insight into uh, the stories behind the stories. Um, the issue we're talking about, uh, of course, is uh, the February issue with Mike Hawthorne, resplendent upon the cover, cover line, golden boy, beautiful photograph, Lyndon. I mean, it's, it's classic motorsport. Um, a, a classic motorsport image, isn't it? It sums us up, yeah. It's it's one of our. It's a beautiful portrait th- from the LAT archives that we hope is fairly, un, you know, a fairly unseen photo. This one, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. The sh- we had two choices. Actually, we should talk about this because we had two choices, didn't we? We had, um, in fact, Damon had a had a superb idea about uh, sh- representing Mike Hawthorne with a lovely image of his famous polka dot bow tie yeah. uh, which you shot didn't you and we had it well talk us through tell us what we had well it, it, yeah we were given by Nigel Webb the man behind the, the Mike Hawthorne Museum um, it wasn't an original bow tie because that's encased in glass and hidden away for for no one to touch but he gave us a bow tie which was a replica of and we studio shot it to give it that feel well, studio, studio, <laughs> studio. <laughs> Well, studio studio in the loosest sense, really, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. We're not going to hire a studio just for a bow tie, no. but uh, <laughs> tell the truth. Where did you shoot it? I shot it in my kitchen. <laughs> but it gave us the option to either go wildly abstract and go for a bow tie to simulate the Hawthorne trademark, shall we say, or do we go for a portrait? But it's one of those things where, um, if you think of Mike Hawthorne, one of the one of the first things that comes to mind is the bow tie. So we uh, rather controversially tried it out on the cover first, didn't we? We, we did. Well, I didn't see that. I didn't see that issue. I, uh, I managed to take a couple of weeks' holiday. But uh, <laughs> um, but yes, Joe, Joe and I was work, we were working on the cover uh, potentially with the with the bow tie, but we just in the end it was a uh, maybe a little bit too one much, step too beyond much of an abstract concept. <laughs> uh, but uh, in the end, we came up with a rather rather amazing looking black and white uh, traditional amazing shot of him smiling away happy as larry um yeah heartland motorsport this and i, I think the, the the final choice for the cover image is is every bit as bit as much mike hawthorne as, as the bow tie on its own i mean it's just it's a, it's a lovely lovely portrait yeah it's really uh it's, it's, it's quite poignant as well isn't it i mean uh, i should say that this is the anniversary special of course um uh, uh, uh mike died 1959 in january uh so this is this is really uh the issue dedicated to him and and his memory um i mean it's a it's an issue that's packed full of fantastic um uh, stories uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of uh, run through um, the first part, but I'm going to pause briefly on uh, Simon, your column, because it, th- again, that's quite a poignant column. It was a, uh, a well, a, a bit of a last. You've, you've made a bit of a habit of visiting racetracks and <laughs> just on the eve of their well, demise. Well, well Wyndham and I were both sort of there when Wimbledon Stadium closed, but uh, Rockingham, yeah, it was a, ever since. Uh, I mean, this is the last uh, example of my uh, club racing column in its current form, and. Uh, I'd always been meant to get to Rockingham because I'd not been there many times during its 18-year history, and uh, 
Okay, not quite getting there for one reason or another, and then it was closing. And uh, late November, I went along and got a big turnout. Uh, it was quite a funny day, really. There was a deer, and everyone associates Corby with being a, an industrial wasteland. There was a deer in the car park. Um, I mean, there are deer warning signs at Rockingham, but even so, it's sort of to, to hear that one of my colleagues had seen one was uh, was quite surprising. <laughs> but it just it was one of those days when you you sort of you just really. I mean, they had good goods of cars. Lots of people, lots of people I knew, lots of people I knew from the very early days of Rockingham when I did, do, did go to a couple of meetings and it all turned out to just to say a fond farewell really. Never had the cachet or romance of a UK circuit like Brands Hatch has, for example. It's the UK's newest circuit as well, or was, uh, having only opened in 2001. But it was a venue that Given the amount of motor racing in Britain, there are 240 odd championships. Yeah, we need a broad number of circuits to accommodate all of them, particularly with the expanding stuff like you know, low cost endurance racing. And Rockingham, being in the middle of an industrial estate, could host as many 24 hour races as it, as it wanted, more or less. So it's, it is, it's lost. It wasn't physically beautiful. It didn't have the elegance of Cadwell Park, Alton Park, Brands Hatch, etc. But it was a vital cog for grassroots motorsport in the UK, as well as a host for the British Touring Car Championship, British GT. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sad to see it go. What, what, what do you think kind of went, went wrong, or where did, did it go wrong? <coughs> I, I spoke to uh, one of the management team who drove a Citroen C1 at the last race meeting, and he said very, very simply that motorsport wasn't viable. The land has got more value in the long term as a commercial site. It's going to be used as an automotive storage hub and I think in time it'll be developed either as... Well, that, that particular area is being redeveloped around Corby and, and yeah. it's being... It's being um, gentrified. It's a, gentrified at <laughs> a rate of knots at the moment. So it's a huge plot. And yeah, will be, it will become housing, I'm yeah, sure, at absolutely. some stage. Sure. But, I mean, people say motor racing is not viable, but you look at MSB, for example, and they've got a portfolio of five circuits with another one to open in France very soon. They're busy, you know, seven days a week, some of them, 10 or 11 months of the year. I think that's with where the corporate Rocky, model. Yeah, that's where Rockingham kind of failed, failed a little bit, wasn't it, in the corporate because it was never as glamorous and the corporate guests that they needed for, to function over a seven day a week kind of yeah. option were never turned on to the, the fact that they were out in the middle of Corby or near Corby. Well, know. no, I think exactly. exactly. It, didn't, it didn't have the cachet to bring in yeah. that kind of... I mean, they had some of that business. Sure, sure. But, you know, all of the MSV tracks have got a certain mm. reputation. And trees. And, and trees, yes, and trees, <laughs> um, and Corby, apart from the one deer I, that uh, I was told about, um, is, is largely concrete. But as I say, it's to lose any motorsport venue, no matter how beautiful it might or might not be, is a great pity. Absolutely. Well, I think I think we all agree with that. Um, I'm gonna. We've got quite a lot to get through, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of, um, skip through uh, a few pages here through our, our events page. Um, tomorrow's world. Uh, the interesting story here, actually, from uh, from Samarth, um, uh, who uh, looks into esports and the human cost of esports. And this is the idea that that competitors can get psychologically or mentally um, uh, or it can be psychologically or mentally harmful to them if they uh, um, are, are sort of playing these games 24 hours a day, 7 days a week um, and it's not your standard motorsport injury um, but it's something that it looks like the organisers are taking quite quite seriously so Martha, you, you went to Monaco to do this didn't you? 
Yeah, I'm here now. Uh, sorry, I just ran from the other side of the street. Samas just just um, run over yeah, to talk yeah. about just this. From, from the other side of the room. Uh, yeah, okay, well, uh, yes, the human cost of esports. So I thought it was an interesting angle because no one says the A word in this case, addiction. Um, the FIA, though, seem pretty open to making changes. So, you know, they're, they're acknowledging it. The competitors are not. I mean, spending 16 hours a day cannot be healthy on Gran Turismo or any of these simulators. However, the event itself was, it took, you know, it took me aback. I was, I was it you better was explain, what, what, what event was it? Well, it was the Gran Turismo, uh, it's a very long name, Gran Turismo Championships, World Finals, something, something. Um, there we go. No, yeah, let's just call it the Gran Turismo Championships World Finals in Monaco. And uh, it was glitzy. It was everything you'd expect from top tier motorsport, but virtual. And um, uh, yeah, I was blown away by the presentation, the, you know, the, the fanfare of it all and the, the broadcast. And I have to admit that I was uh, absorbed in the competition. I thought I thought I thought I was genuinely thought it was gripping stuff. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a it's an element of motorsport or an area of motorsport that's that's not going to go away. But I know that a lot of traditional readers and and, and listeners will will be probably raising an eyebrow um, at it. And and the idea of kind of burnout from playing too many computer games to many will be uh, sort of uh, the, the kind of polar opposite, really, of what motorsport is supposed to be about. But um, but that said, as you say, it's uh, it's an interesting uh, area. And you were you were you were came back um, a convert. Yeah, and like it or not, it is here to stay. So, mm. I mean, I, I didn't think I'd like it. Though. There we go. <laughs> well, were you mentally exhausted when you got back? Uh, no, I was actually fine. Monaco, <laughs> Monaco's quite a nice place. Uh. You're made of st sterner stuff, Samar. Um, so we've got Mark Hughes, columnist. Um, Matt Oxley's done a fantastic column. Um, so is Doug Nye. Doug Nye's strayed into 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 modern tech um, uh, for his column this month, looking at uh, looking at Lewis's um, uh, World Championship winning car. Um, uh, we go through letters. We're getting great letters uh, um, at the moment. So if, if you're listening and um, and you and you read something in the, in the magazine that kind of uh, 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 inspires a letter, please do email us, uh, write to us. Um, we love hearing from you. Um, and uh, then we get well. Then we get to our cover story, which is the Mike Hawthorne um, uh, feature uh, entitled "Mike Hawthorne, Britain's Forgotten World Champion." Um, a slightly provocative kind of cover line, really. Um, and already we've had people saying, "What do you mean forgotten?" Uh, you know, we remember him, you know, like it was yesterday, and 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 I can take that point. But I think our sort of premise was that he's just not remembered in the same way as a as as a Clark or a Moss, and and yet he was Britain's first world champion, and, and the stats don't necessarily stack up. But but we kind of challenged Paul Fernley to sort of explain really why he deserves his place in the pantheon and, and Simon I mean he, he does that looking at individual races I mean w what's your kind of feeling on, on Hawthorne he's <laughs> divisive is too strong a word but I mean yeah he's um, it's not so much divisive it's more it, um, you know either you are completely enamored by the sport as we all are and therefore when you were a kid you read about I mean I read about him in books when I was seven or eight years old and I grew up with boxer dogs. He had a boxer dog. So I, oh, it's a connection. Um, and yeah, there were some fantastic performances. I mean, you look at some of his some of his race performances during the fifties. There were uh, fifty-three French Grand Prix. They they were wonderful. Um, but I think one, the thing that people tend to be a little bit sniffy about is the fact that in the final tally, he only won three World Championship qualifying Grand Prix. 
he, in the year he won the title, he won one race. Tony Brooks won three. Sterling Moss won four. But Hawthorne, but the Van Wall wasn't as reliable as the Ferrari, and Hawthorne's greater consistency in the end, or the greater consistency plus Sterling Moss talking to the stewards of the Portuguese Grand Prix and persuading them to reinstate Hawthorne after a push down an escape road. Um, the people tend to think, well, you know, is, was it a, it wasn't a, it was like a Kiki Rosberg World Championship when other drivers, other drivers won more races. But the fact is, he did it. And you look at the, his peaks, which Paul, some of which Paul explains brilliantly, were very, very, very high. He wasn't as consistently quick as a Moss, but he was still a brilliant racing driver. To, to be fair, he came, he came and he sort of did what he wanted to do. And then obviously with the loss of his friend, and he kind of chose, he, cho he was already a chosen at the end of his championship yes. winning year to retire so he was he was only ever going to be that uh, around for that period of time so he, he most of the kind of legends kind of tend to go on for a lot longer and tend to kind of have their peaks and their troughs but they, they tend to have them over a greater period of time he was never going to be uh, one of the ones that was going to be in the in the same rank as the clarks and the mosses etc but um, there's no there's no reason why we don't we don't think of one-time world champions in in the, in, a, in a way that uh, we kind of remember fondly, or uh, in a way that we would do with Keke, and indeed not Nico, of course. Yeah, well, yeah. Came, came along, got his one more championship, and right, that, thank yeah. you very much. And then off he went, much in the same way as uh, Mike. Mike. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that you know, as I say, you look at his peaks, and he, his highs were very, very, very high. And I think the people, he wouldn't. He's clearly not forgotten by the vast majority of motorsport readers. But if any of us were to walk out down Finchley High Road this afternoon and say, right, who was Mike Hawthorne? The chances of finding any any passerby who'd got a clue would be, you know, would be very, very slim. Whereas they'll know Sterling Moss. Yeah, I think, like, uh, I think Mike obviously, be, lo, lo, when, he, when he died, he, he, sort of, he, he had that second career to come, and he? he would have had a, a career as an after-dinner speaker, you know, an, an incredible, incredible character as he was. Um, I know he had his illnesses, etc. but, um, you know, it's not to say what he would have uh, continued, oh, absolutely, for, yeah. continued in the public eye for a while. And the one of the great things about this uh, this feature, I think, is um, it, uh, the pictures. Um, and I know, Lyndon, you went to because we were keen, obviously, to show a side to this story that hadn't been seen before. And you went to LAT, and they, well, you tell us. Well, their archivist trawled through their, their their folders and drawers of of many photos, and and came out with a lot of unseen or or the rarer images that haven't been seen as often as as everything else. You know, there's the typical uh, Hawthorne in his D-type, but Le Mans in 55 and everything else that people recognise. But we wanted to go deeper, and because we're showing him in a different light, and it's about which Paul, the stories that Paul picked out, we wanted to depict those stories as well, and our own opinions and how we feel. So. Yeah, the, the pictures we found were, it, it's, it's always hard to find more or the diverse images from, from an era where, you know, somebody took two rolls of film to a Grand Prix and, yeah. and try and get as much as we can. But we've, we've been very lucky with, with the supply that LAT found for us. Well, I think they're absolutely stunning. Um, uh, and, and really kind of do justice to, to, to Paul's words. And, um, 
part of the uh, well, another additional part of the, the package here of, of, of Hawthorne is is a really nice um, feature which uh, uh, looks at Mike Hawthorne's um, little known museum, which is um, owned and, and curated by uh, Nigel Webb, who's a uh, sports fan and, and a Hawthorne fan, and has many over the years collected many of uh, of Hawthorne's um, uh, cars and um, parts of his. Um, uh, uh, estate um, and Rob Ladbrook, um, who's not here today, he's, he's feeling unwell, which is unlike Rob. He's usually um, works like a, a Trojan, doesn't he? Um, uh, went down to visit him, and uh, he's done a, done a lovely piece. And um, actually, a lot of this, um, uh, a, a lot of this uh, museum, a lot of museum displays are going to be uh, on display at Race Retro, um, which is powered by Motorsport Magazine. Uh, and Race Retro takes place on February the twenty second uh, until February the twenty fourth at Stonely Park in Coventry. So if you haven't got tickets, please go and get tickets. That's my uh, plug for our uh, uh, for our event. Um, <laughs> well, I tell you, I mean, it's great. You know, the, the actual um, uh, the actual museum, the contents of the museum isn't hasn't been seen by many people because it's a private collection. It's a private museum. We call it a museum, but it's not open to the public. It's kind of by invite only. So this is something of a world first. Uh, this this is be the first time that the uh, that the museum exhibits are going to be open to the public um, at, at Race Retro. So if you're a Mike Hawthorne fan, um, get down to Stonely Park in Coventry um, and uh, and have a look at Nigel Webb's Webb's stunning. Uh, stunning collection. We hope to get him up on stage as well, where we'll talk to him about uh, about how he's come by uh, a lot of these uh, this this, uh, this content. Um, Doug Nye as well has written a fantastic personal piece on his memories of Mike, because Doug grew up. Um, uh, in Surrey um, and remembers Mike, remembers actually being, well he thinks he may have been pushed off the road by Mike, he tore <laughs> past him like Toad of Toad Hall um, but it's a lovely kind of personal um, personal piece um, and then on to uh, the next feature which is um, oh, W Series which is a piece on the all female racing series, um, again uh, like esports uh, uh, something which, which might divide opinion um, we've interviewed um, Catherine Bond-Muir who is the um, chief executive um, uh, behind the new racing series and asked her um, to explain a little bit about um, the, the business model uh, behind it and, uh, and and why she wants to do it and Simon she, she comes across pretty, um, I mean she's, she, she's an impressive woman, I, mean, I, I met her and, and spoke to her but, um, but she, she seems to know what she's talking about as well yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, you you conducted the interview. I've not I've not had a chance to meet her yet. Um, I have spoken to the um, the commercial the commercial team at the W Series, led by Matt Bishop, formerly with McLaren. And uh, you know, people do have mixed feelings about what the W Series is, what it represents, um, whether it's the right thing in a business that theoretically should provide equal opportunities for both genders. But the current model clearly doesn't produce a, a, a balanced I think, balance I, I think that's the critical thing to yeah, remember it, it, here, yeah, isn't it? The, the, the current model the, doesn't do it. Exactly. So, yeah. what doesn't, it doesn't work at the moment, and, and this is a way... Well, it might be a way. It might be know. a way. Yeah. Yes, it's, a, it's, a, it's, another, it's another path, and yeah. if, it, if, it if it ends up being an amazing success, we'll all sit here in a few years' time and go, brilliant, that was the... If it doesn't, then that's fine, but, and, and the, but let's the, give it a try. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I think uh, Catherine's answers to your questions here were, were very plausible. They come, they come across as they make a lot of sense. And I think the people with the W Series are also very, you know, they, they, they admit they don't know whether this is going to work, but they're prepared to give it a go. I mean, my, my one, looking at the female racers who've been chosen, 
Some of them I don't know much about. They've come from. They've come from. All four corners of the world. Well, they've they? come from. The, yeah, they've come yeah. from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the world square is it? I don't know. I think you'll find it's flat. It's flat. I more or less Norfolk, which is flat. But there are some I don't know about. There are some who are there. Who, to be fair, have had a crack before in Formula Renault GP3 but and stuff. And you could say I, that about male drivers. There's so many male drivers around that you don't have any clue about and just appear in the scene because they've got some yeah. cash behind mm -hmm. them. So I think the fact that you don't know half these drivers... No, but they're the ones I'm interested in. Because yeah. there, there, are, there are a few too many for my liking who've had proper opportunities in GP3, Formula Renault, whatever, a, and yeah. have, have not been good enough. I'm sorry, but they haven't. Um, I want to see, see the young ones who I don't know about who might be good enough. They're the ones exactly. I'm interested in seeing. Okay. Well, that's, I, 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 think, um, I think the ones, I think we're all looking forward to it. We're all excited for it. Because oh, we, we kind of, you know, in this world of uh, Me Too and all that, we, we, we're, all, we're all on board. We all want it to happen. <laughs> it's, the thing I, I like is it's, it's actually generating conversations about motor racing. It's bringing yeah. motor racing into the public eye yeah. in a different, in a slightly mm. different way. And there's a race at Brands Hatch later this year, which I'm going to go and watch because I just, I'm just interested to see how the thing will evolve. Oh, I completely agree. And I, th I think anything that sparks a debate and gets people involved is, has, has got to be a good thing. Um, we are um, motoring through uh, the issue. We've got a, uh, we've got a great uh, piece about, um, oh, obviously, Paris-Dakar is, is underway now in South America. Um, we've got a great piece on a, on a, on a Rolls-Royce Corniche, which took so, part. So being motorsport, what we've done is we've chosen a 1981 Rolls-Royce Corniche. <laughs> <laughs> well, we couldn't do the obvious. Moving with the times. But, 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 that, but that is no dafter than holding the Dakar Rally in South America, is it? That's so, true. Yeah, fair point, yeah. Um, uh, and then our, because this is our, this is our sort of end of year issue as well, we've got our 2018 in pictures. Um, Lyndon Damon, I mean, Probably this is your favourite part of the year, isn't it? Yeah. You get yeah. to just look yeah. at beautiful pictures. We just get to look it goes pictures. through every, yeah, every yeah. website we yeah. can find yeah. and find every source and just, yeah, look what's prettiest. And, and it has choose your own. And yeah. choose a couple of my own, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but it's, like, it's just nice to actually look back through the year and realise what you might have missed or hasn't been seen. It's, yeah, again, it's just a lovely... I can, I can retrospective. See whole, I, I can see a whole um, book, book, uh, book magazine coming. Yeah, for this. <laughs> I, I'd be quite happy to just look at amazing pictures. Uh, well, I mean, it's one of the things, isn't it? I mean, this, in, in a way, this sort of encapsulates what, what we do. I mean, I mean we sometimes, it's sometimes a problem, isn't it? The, the breadth of disciplines that motorsport covers. I mean, we don't just do Formula One. Um, you know, we, 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 do, we, we don't just do historic racing. We, we do everything. And, um, and these pictures really, really show that. We've got, um, we've, we've got endurance racing. We've got NASCAR, we've got F1. Brazilian um, stock cars. MotoGP, touring cars. Oh, everything. Everything yeah. and anything. Um, so uh, anyway, they, those, those, those pictures of uh, I think I think it's a really nice selection. I think you've done done mm. really well on that one. Yeah. Uh, we've got a, uh, a feature on um, an E-Type being reunited with uh, its uh, owner, um, an E-Type which may or may not have appeared in the uh, film The Italian <laughs> Job. Uh, we'll leave you to decipher whether that um, leave you to decipher whether that that's the it actually appeared in the film or not. Um, and Mark Hughes has uh, has interviewed Christian Horner. A really interesting, really interesting interview, uh, and really interesting to hear from uh, from Horner. I mean, Simon, they've got you know they've, they've they've got to be in the running for next year, haven't they? Well, there is a, there is there is a, an, ele an elephant in, in the room or in the back of the car. Um, we don't yet, obviously. I do you mean a Honda? Don't yeah, you? I do mean a Honda. Yeah, um, I, I do. New engine, new car. <laughs> <laughs> I, I personally was obviously I'm not in the Formula One paddock. 
in the way I used to be. But um, I personally, watching from afar and talking, chatting to Mark and one or two other people who are still involved, you know, I was imp I was impressed overall with what Honda did in 2018. The fact that in second race of the season they finished fourth, a better result than McLaren had achieved in the previous three seasons with the same, you know, partnership. Um, There's a whole other podcast, isn't it? Well, there, it is, that is a whole McLaren, other podcast. What, what McLaren did wrong this year? But, it, but, it, but if you if you use the the technical prowess of Red Bull um, and the, the financial resources of Honda, given what Red Bull have done as a as a Renault customer team, I think potentially if Honda can nail the reliability, we don't know that yet, but they've made impressive gains over the last 12-15 months. And if they, if they can nail it, I'm not going to say they're going to be a contender next year, but as a potential challenger for race victories, certainly, yeah. I think I'd, I'd be surprised if they, didn't, if they didn't win a race. I mean, on your previous point, they, um, uh, Horner has very mischievously says, doesn't he, about um, McLaren, that he said that you know, they, in 2017 they always said they had the best chassis um, and were just being held back by the engine. And then he was on say, so it was very unfortunate. Uh, that just when they changed the engine, they went from having the best chassis <laughs> to, to not the best. Um, but, uh, yeah, Christian is actually, he's very, very good at, uh, whenever there's a sort of a, a, there's a slightly open goal, he's always very good at, um, good at burying, burying the ball in the back of the net. He's, but he is, I mean, I, I like the way he does it, to be honest, because I, I like a bit of mischief. Um, one, of the, one of the interesting things that I found as, uh, when I came to design this was that um, when we were looking for photos for uh, for this, we were we were trying to find pictures of uh, Daniel and of Max together, and every single one of them, they're smiling, they're happy. I know that Daniel kind of came to the end of his uh, Red Bull. Uh, career under a small amount of uh, annoyance and etc. But it's it, I, what I thought was really interesting was I, I couldn't find a, a picture of the two of them where they looked unhappy together at any point. I don't think so there's any picture of Danny without a smile, though, is there? Regardless, it was but really it, interesting I, that the it, two of them, it, even it, with the dynamic that they proves have, what a good team that they've got behind them and and they're involved in to to always be happy regardless of whether you know yeah. Danny's. Yeah. reliability problems of yeah. failing obviously in we know that Max is quite a volatile character and uh, obviously Daniel being being the, the supposed team leader it, it's yeah. interesting the dynamic is it just that the Red Bull archive doesn't have any photographs of <laughs> no it's just well, everywhere everywhere I mean, yeah. it's, they just enjoyed their own enjoyed well, the, the two of them enjoyed I'm, their company or each other's company I think it's a point well I mean, I've seen a couple of times this year when uh, one of the, the TV stations had had them doing silly things and they both get, I mean, it becomes very competitive between them. They were throwing an axe at a target board at one race. And, uh, you know, Ricciardo was very good at it. And Max couldn't do it quite as well. But it was very, but there was a really nice rapport between them. Yeah. And Christian makes the point in the interview that managing the two of them, despite Baku, despite everything else last year, has been a whole lot easier than managing <laughs> Sebastian Vettel and Mark Webber. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, the, uh, well, one of the things that I thought was quite quite amusing for me uh, was that uh, in the in the piece, Christian says that he he heard Ricardo called him to tell him that he was leaving after Ricardo had just landed at LA, and it reminded me of a interview with Danny that Mark had done a couple of months ago, where Danny had explained that he had made the decision on his on the flight mm. from I think it was from London to LA mid 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 air, and so it kind of tied the two up quite yeah. nicely. Um, now all of this is really serves as a preamble. <laughs> do, do, we do, do, we, do we really have to do I'm sorry. this? Do I'm so really sorry, everybody. I think the next feature is probably the best feature that I've never had to shoot. Well, 
to coin a phrase, you would say that, wouldn't you? This is our feature that shows our star photographer, Lyndon McNeil, and his and documents his journey to becoming a... Through his midlife crisis. A, uh, <laughs> through his midlife crisis to becoming a fully-fledged racing driver. Go on, Lyndon. The, the floor is yours. Oh, well, other than... Well, you'll, you'll all read about it. You've probably seen the videos. Well, I, I hope there, you've seen the videos. Simon was there to watch. I, I had Damon to watch. <laughs> I have been very... Well, last year, I was very lucky to be given the opportunity by Radical to take my odds, do a test, and then stupidly they put me in a race as well at the end of the season. Um, and other than being the happiest man alive for being able to do it, for wanting to have raced for pretty much all my life, um, it was fantastic. You can't, I can't thank Radical anymore, I think, because they would probably just get sick of it. Um, but yeah, I, I had... You can just start sounding like an IndyCar driver. I know, oh, like, sponsor, like I'll my, thank my sponsors and everybody else. Uh, no, but to, to be thrown in at the deep end, they gave me, I did my odds, they gave me a test day at Donington, uh, another test day at Brands Hatch, and then the race was the very next day. And to, to be on the grid, to even just be to qualify for me was a was a, a massive achievement. And your dad was quite my happy dad, as well, yeah. Well, to see to see my dad cry is always a <laughs> that's a stony hard man. Um, it was just was he crying because you were in the top ten or because you weren't in the top three? I think because I was in the top ten. Um, yeah. No, it was just for me. It was it was a perfect end to a lovely year. So yeah, and I have to say, as a, as a as as an as an eyewitness. And having raced myself back in the day, and I know how difficult it is, it, look, it doesn't look as difficult from the spectator bank at Paddock Hill Bend as it looks well, behind the wheel. Obviously, I've, I've always it's, stood... You did bloody well, mate. Really oh, did. thank you. But, I, you know, I've always stood on one side of the fence and seen cars coming one way, knowing where they should be. But when you're in the car trying to place that car to be where you think it should be for the photo, it's, it's a whole new world. And it's opened my eyes up, and I want to do it again. <laughs> Blatant plug, please give me a race, <laughs> and, please give me a race seat. And clearly, you, you've, um, you've got spare mental capacity because you told me at one point that when you come to the Hill Tours Druid, you could see me trackside taking I was, photos. I was looking out for everybody. I think I probably had the best documented debut race. I had so many photographers there <laughs> with their eye, the snipers, sniper trained. I did pick some spots on a previous test thinking, that's where I'm going to end up in the gravel. But no, just a couple of spins, but... And you yeah. didn't, and you almost took the championship leader off on the last, yeah. the last uh, lap. That was hilarious, <laughs> but you didn't. <laughs> well, it's a great, it's it's a really good read actually. And as you said, there's uh, there, there's uh, some great video as well uh, on our on our website where you can follow in diary form um, Lyndon's Lyndon's journey from uh, from from photographer to to well yeah, fully fledged driver. racer. There we go. Um, what else have we got? We've got we've got some great. Andrew Frankel's done some great road cars for us, including the new uh, Mazda MX-5, which I think is everyone's everyone's favourite little roadster. Uh, we have Speed Shop. Uh, we're documenting some great restorations. We've got auctions uh, where Max Girardo talks about his uh, or the most expensive um, uh, auction lots uh, this year. Um, but I want to finish on um, uh, lunch, uh, our lunch with interview, which. Um, uh, which this uh, this month is with Dick Bennett's Simon. I mean, it's 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 a great interview and and a really a really interesting man as well. Yeah, we're, we're basically moving from uh, Lyndon McNeil to Elton Senna, aren't we? Um, it's not so that big <laughs> a jump, surely. <laughs> Norfolk <Anyway>. boys. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've um, it was a pleasure to do the interview. I've known Dick for a very long time, since '82 probably, when he was in the early days of his British Formula Three team, and. He's an interesting character because 
he's worked at higher levels and worked very briefly with McLaren in the early days of the Ron Dennis era. But he didn't want to work in Formula One. He didn't want to be just a number in a big team. He preferred doing his own thing. A very practical man. And he's had a huge amount of success running guys like Senna, Hakkinen, Rubens Barrichello in Formula 3. And in more recent years, the British Touring Car Championship, he won all three titles this year with Colin Turkington and BMW. And um, he's, just a, he's just a very, very easy guy to rub. Like most Kiwis, very down-to-earth, very practical, no-nonsense, ask a question, get a straight answer. And, yeah, I think we, I think our lunch went on for about three hours in the end, which was a bloody long time to transcribe, Dick, thanks. But uh, I enjoyed every second of it. It was quite a challenge to, uh, to reduce the amount of uh, sort of highlights of his career, because he's been, he's been doing it yeah, for absolutely. such so, a long so, time. Such a long time. And it's yeah. been, I mean, I say, not so many different things, but with different, it's been sort of Formula 3, Formula 2, Formula Atlantic. But with so many different pe interesting people, Keki Rosberg, yeah. Bobby Rahal, you know, he's worked with a hell of a lot of interesting people. I, I think he's in the market for Lyndon McNeil when Turkey was Well, and you never know. I'll keep my uh, eyes open, ears peeled. But it was, it was also when we were going through the archive for the, for the career in pictures at the bottom, just the variety, like you say, of who he's worked with. And you're like, oh my God, I didn't realise he did this and did that. And, he's, he's still, he's still, and still doing it, yeah. He's still champion, yeah. He's been winning for, you know, 40 years or whatever it is. So, he's, uh, you know. That's off. Yeah, and he, um, I'm going to have to say thanks to him as well because a lot of the photographs... Uh, a lot of the archive that we'd the, never the, have found, came, yeah. Came from, I just said to him when I was talking to Dick on the phone before we had lunch, I said, look, if you've got anything from your, you know, any snapshot from your family catalogue that we could possibly use, and he just turned up at the pub with a parlour and said, take your pick, and it was, which was great. It's, Perfect, it made our life a lot easier. <laughs> yes, saved a, lot of, saved a few blank spaces, so thank you, Dick. Thanks, Simon. I mean, I, I I agree. I think I think it's it's one of the it's a it's a vintage lunch. It really is. Uh, and as you say, Lyndon, what what's great about it is that, it, and what the great lunches should do in a way is um, just reveal new aspects that you just didn't know. And um, exactly. it, it opens your eyes. You, you see this guy. I knew he ran Formula Three. You know, I knew he ran Hakkinen in F3, and and obviously Senna with with Formula Three. But then it's everything else I didn't realise, and it, yeah. it taught me a thing or two. That's I mean, right. even though I knew he'd been. Ron Dennis's project for around the pro car time. I didn't realise he'd engineered Nicky Lauda in the pro car championship, yeah. but I didn't know. So, as well as a new dick, that had never, you know, that had never come up in conversation before. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, that brings us to the end of uh, of, of this month's um, issue podcast. Uh, Sam, who is in charge of the sort of mixing decks, is signalling to me that uh, our time is up. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope you enjoy the magazine. Um, if you haven't bought the magazine yet, please go and buy it um, in all newsagents now. Uh, as we said right at the beginning, it's, uh, it's the magazine with the uh, picture of Mike Hawthorne on the cover and our famous green masthead across the top. Um, uh, thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next time for the March issue um, podcast. <laughs>